Brittany Ross, and I play the fiddle. I'm Catherine Flincham, and I play the pipe. And together, we are Fiddle and Pipe. Two classical musicians who are reading and discussing topics beyond the staff. So grab a book, take a seat, and tune in. Recording. Me too. Let's get this over with. And I have my computer plugged in. Me too. So we tried this once before. Twice before. On the plus side, we know what to say now. We know what to say. We are prepared. We will be satisfied with this episode. I'm not satisfied. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. I'll never be satisfied. Alexander Hamilton. Oh, I get the, I can't get no satisfaction stuck in my head by the Rolling Stones. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's another good one. Or if you really want to like go back to millennial times, Britney Spears did a version of I Can't Get No Satisfaction on her I'm a Slave album. I'm a slave. I remember I got that CD and I don't think my parents approved of it and I didn't get Britney Spears' next CD when it came out. I never remember listening to her when I was like eight. Oh yeah. I remember getting her album, her first album, on my fifth birthday. I loved it. OG Britney. Love it. I'm the OG Britney. You are the... <laughs> Actually, no, Britney Spears is older than me. <laughs> so she's the OG Britney. I'm the knockoff. It's Britney, bitch. <laughs> it's Britney, bitch. Britney, bitch. No, I just think of Hamilton. <laughs> I know. I need to watch Hamilton again. I've only watched it that one time on Disney+. Plus. I loved it. I haven't retained media as well. <laughs> I also can't retain media. Oh, musicals are fine. I can retain those, but books and movies, they'll just leave my head so fast. I'm having like deja vu because we literally just had the same conversation. We literally just did. (laughs) It's okay. We'll be satisfied in the next episode that we record. (laughs) So since we're both forcing ourselves to be satisfied, we should probably talk about chapter 15, the cardinal rule of behavior change. And it's not about birds. <laughs> yeah, I still think about cardinals. <laughs> oh, we're fine. Everything's fine. Everything's great. We are okay. I'm drinking my tea. What kind of tea are you drinking? I am drinking chamomile tea. Just need to relax a little bit. Chamomile tea used to just put me to sleep. It just kind of calms me. I don't really fall asleep to this. At LaBelle, we have a chamomile comfort tea, and it has chamomile and peppermint mixed in. Ooh. I've tried other ones and they're good, but nothing hits the spot like the chamomile comfort tea. So could we say that you're satisfied? I am very satisfied right now. And I am more likely to drink tea if it brings satisfaction to me, which is kind of the theme of this chapter is we are worth repeating habits if they bring us satisfaction or pleasure in some way, shape, or form. He starts the chapter with a section about hand washing in Karachi. Mm-hmm. And... I just thought about how hand-washing was a really big part back in March of 2020 when we didn't know very much about COVID. (laughs) We still don't know very much about COVID, but back when we really didn't know very much about COVID, how hand-washing was stressed as an important way to combat. Mm -hmm. I also didn't realize how often I touched my face. 
until the CDC was like, don't touch your face. And I was like, I'm not touching my face. I say as I'm like stroking my eyeball. It's really hard when someone tells you not to do something and then you're like, damn it. And then you're like, that's all I can think of. I have to itch my nose. (laughs) What he was trying to get on about hand washing was basically like the poor sections of Karachi did not have access to running water or healthy hygiene habits like washing your hands. They didn't have access to those resources. And so scientists got together and they're like, how can we bring something like hand washing into this community that way we can prevent diseases from spreading and Mm -hmm. so i think they tried it before but it wasn't working with a lot of people and so what they did is they handed premium soap to families first i think it was focused in a certain neighborhood yeah and they basically handed the soap that smelled nice it felt really good when you lathered it on your hands yeah tell me more They came back and they noticed that hand washing actually had spread in the neighborhood. It became more of a normal thing. The different kinds of diseases went down between 30 and 50%, which is pretty wild when you think that the only thing that drastically changed was hand washing. Yeah. I kind of think about it like here in my apartment. I am one of those people that loves to splurge whenever Bath and Body Works has a sale. And I love buying the hand soaps there, and they smell really good. It's just become a big habit in my apartment. I have it all over the place, and I like to sanitize after I wash my hands as well, especially when I'm out. But Mm -hmm. I can definitely relate to, like, how, like, you want it to feel pleasurable. It's hard to wash your hands when it smells like science. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, when I was growing up as a kid, I hated it. I was like, this smells gross, especially when I was at school, because... Mm -hmm. Whenever they did have soap, it smelled really gross. And I say, whenever they did have soap, because one time, if you went to Woodstock High School, the 600 hall bathrooms did not have soap in the bathroom for a while. I know. It was very gross. Very, 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 very gross. I think also one of the stalls didn't have a door for a while either. I mean, it's Woodstock. (laughs) What are you going to (laughs) do? So when things are pleasurable, we are more likely to repeat them. And yes. it can be, like, food. Like, you eat it, and you're like, mm. yum. I feel nourished. I feel strong. I need to do this again. So then you are reinforced to feed yourself, which is good because you need food to live. So everyone is always looking for immediate satisfaction and to be immediately rewarded and I know we just talked about this, and I feel immediately punished that we have to re-record this because I didn't plug my computer in. But this makes me think of immediate gratification and how big of a role that plays with teaching, especially since we are geared towards teaching kids who already don't have well-formed frontal lobes, so they're not able to like plan ahead mm-hmm. and see future concepts as well as adults can. So... They pick up a violin, and they're like, yeah, I heard so-and-so play the violin, it sounded rad. I'm like, yeah, it does sound rad. And they're like, I'm going to learn how to play it. And I'm like, yeah, cool beans. Come here, I'll teach you. And they're like, okay. And then so they go to my house, and they're like, I sound like ass. And I'm like, okay, well, you shouldn't say ass. And then... <laughs> you shouldn't say ass. True. Yeah, I've never heard a g- 
good beginning string player. I think about it with also flute playing. For instance, I see this not only in students that I've been teaching at schools, but I mean, even in myself. Flute is hard when you first learn it. It's not easy. Some kids can pick it up really well, blowing into the flute for the first time. Even when you have the whole instrument together, some kids can pick that up really well. But for me personally, I was not one of those kids. I struggled a lot holding the entire thing since it's an asymmetrical Mm -hmm. position and actually like grasping the head joint against my embouchure and actually making a sound that's like a total different ball game compared to just having the head joint by itself is it just because it's like a balance thing like it's heavier it's just a balance thing and when you don't have a mirror in front of you when you can't see yourself actually putting the head joint to your lips and blowing it's hard and being at schools and trying to teach kids in an environment where it's like we have to keep our mask on all the time, most of the time, and trying to see like, hey, can I see your mouth? Can I see if you're putting up the flute correctly, like at your lips so that you are making a sound easily? It's really hard. And a lot of kids get discouraged because they'll hear the clarinets in the next room making sounds. And they're like, well, how come the clarinets could do it? And I'm sitting there and I'm like, it's completely different in my yeah. head. I'm like, Ugh. but I mean, I felt the same way when I was nine years old. I remember when I got my instrument, I went home. I had my friend come over that lived down the street and we <laughs> opened up my flute. I was like, I'm so excited. And I put it together and I tried to play it. Did not work. Then I went to band class the following week and everyone can make sounds. And I was the only one that couldn't. And I just remember being like, I hate this instrument, and I didn't want to play it to begin with. Why am I doing this? Is that when you threw it on the stairs? I'll talk about that later. (laughs) (laughs) That was one of the reasons why, because I didn't want to practice. I mean, immediately, I was having a hard time with it, and I wasn't enjoying the flute. I didn't want to play it. I didn't want to practice it. That was my instant gratification. Like, I can't make a sound. Why bother playing this instrument? I remember I really wanted to play clarinet, and I was so pissed that I did not play clarinet. (laughs) But it's fine. I can't play clarinet anyway, so. <laughs> Neither can I. It takes the most dedicated kids a few months to mm-hmm. actually sound semi-decent on any string instrument. I feel like especially violin, just because it is the highest pitch instrument, and usually mm-hmm. they start when it's not a full size, so it's even more prone to being, like, squeaky. Yeah. Kids just don't like it, and it's not very forgiving. <laughs> So I don't really blame them. I mean, I was the same way. I remember sitting on my parents' floor in the family room, and there was a CD playing, and I literally saw on the A string every time a female sang, and I saw on the D string every time a male sang, and my parents were like, oh, you're really good. I'm pretty sure I was not good. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I sound like hot trash. (laughs) Your parents were just like, you're doing great, Brady. That sound great. And they're like, like, we can't wait till you're done. (laughs) Can't wait till this kid moves out. (laughs) Spoiler alert, she was never done with violin. (laughs) And spoiler alert, I didn't move out until grad school. And then I graduated and moved right back in. (laughs) With more violin. And a cat. And a cat, yeah, true. You're not lying about that. So So why are we so focused on immediate gratification? Um, Is it because of our delayed return environment (laughs) so in a past episode i think it was last episode i said that david told me that our brains haven't changed in the last two thousand years or something but 
Mr. Clear, and I actually fact-checked what he said, so he's right, said that our lizard brains are still structurally the same as they were 200,000 years ago. Mm. 200,000, not 2,000. Not 2,000. So, I'm sorry for anyone who listened in the past. I was wrong. I can only count to four. I am a musician. Yes, we don't understand math. (laughs) Back in ye olden days, we would be like, I'm hungry. I'm going to go get food. And we'd go out and, like, club something to death and then eat it. And then we'd be rewarded. (laughs) Club somebody to death. Yeah. And... (laughs) And that's how our reward system worked. We felt a need, and then we did the thing, and then we were rewarded. So we're like, cool. So every time I'm hungry, I'm either going to, like, go pick berries or, like, club a small animal. And you were good. There you go. And that's how you lived your life. But last few hundred years, we've been living in a world that's obsessed with planning ahead for the future. Mm-hmm. Saving for retirement. Mm-hmm. Buying a house. Mm-hmm. Buying that fancy new instrument that you want. Moving out of your parents' house. Mm. Always thinking about the future. And since our brains, structurally speaking, are still the same, we don't have any parts in our brain that have really gotten bigger or smaller in the last 200,000 years. We still pick what feels good in the short term, even though it's not really what we should be doing today. We don't have an immediate return environment anymore we have a delayed return environment yes well i liked how he talked about compared to the age of the brain modern society is brand new which i thought was interesting i mean i never really thought about it like that before he was like in the last 100 years we have seen the rise of the car the airplane the television the personal computer the internet the smartphone and beyonce the world has changed much in recent years but human nature has changed little seems like we're just really overwhelmed with content one that's why we're so bad at things like you ever wonder why we're so bad at driving it's because it's so (laughs) new yeah the ford model t which i think was one of the first modern day cars and the first one that was invented on an assembly line was invented in 1908 so cars still fairly recent but that's why we're so bad at it because evolution takes so much time because Mm -hmm. you're essentially weeding out um traits that are undesirable from a population mm-hmm. and that's not something that's just gonna happen like in one generation to the next that takes hundreds thousands of years mm-hmm. yes it does we're just not good at a lot of things because our brains are not developed for them so we're bad at driving we're bad at long-term planning yes we we never really had to do that like the farthest that we had to long-term plan and ye olden days was like oh eventually i should find a mate and that was it Yep, I need to find a mate, and I need to reproduce, and that's it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And everything else was in the moment, like making sure that you're fed and you're clothed, or you have shelter, you have water, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And now we have all the things, so we don't have to. Hey, you look kind of peppy. I am peppy because I just drank a cup of coffee from La Belle Rosette Espresso and Wine Bar. That's in Denver, right? Yep. We are located right across the street from the University of Denver. And do they have more than just espresso and wine? Yeah, we have breakfast burritos, paninis, pastries, teas. We have a lot. 
if someone was walking through Denver and let's say this person was me and let's say I wanted a panini, when is LaBelle open so I can go and get one? We are open from 7 to 5 Monday through Friday, 7 to 2 on Saturdays, 8 to 2 on Sundays. And if you use the code FPPODCAST, you'll get 15% off your order, whether you're in-store or online at labellerosette.com. That's a really good deal. Totally a good deal. And it's even a better deal when you get to see moi at the store. Is that a good deal? Uh, Not really, but I actually need to head to work right now because I'm going to be late. Oh. So I'm going to go. Go to LaBelle Rosette. Bye. Right now. Drop (laughs) everything. Go. Bad and unhealthy decisions are more likely to... Oh, shit. Tom Brady retired. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. You're just like... (laughs) Wait, did he really... Is he retiring next year? Is he not playing for the Bucks anymore? Oh, yeah. The Bucks are not playing in the playoffs. They lost. David just sent me a text saying Brady retired. Wow. Well, you know what? Good for him because he made a Super Bowl without the Patriots. Good for him. It shows that he's... A really good football player. I think he had a successful career. He may have beaten my favorite team, even though he should have lost, but you know. Yeah, that's that's the end of an era. Damn. Wow. Has a hot wife. He still has a hot bod. I am never going to look like that when I'm 40, what, 45, Mm. 44? I'm going to look like... I'll send you the picture. But he also thinks that if you drink enough water... That it'll protect you from the sun, so there's that. (laughs) Well, speaking of drinking water, which is a habit that I have every day, I hold myself accountable by drinking water by having a habit tracker that tells me, have you drank your water today? Oh, I see you slipping in the chapter 16. Yeah, I'm also sending you a photo at the same time of what I'm going to look like when I'm 44. (laughs) When I'm Tom Brady's age. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) When you're 44. I just know I'll never look that good when I'm that age. Unless I drink water every day. I'm getting there. But basically, chapter 16, how to stick with good habits every day, like drinking water. James Clear talks about having a habit tracker because sometimes Mm -hmm. we can't hold ourselves accountable all the time. So having Mm -hmm. something physical, like a calendar or an app of some sort. Oh my god, don't get me hooked on apps again. I know. Brittany has talked about the amount of apps that she has. <laughs> she has I'm going to talk about it again, because that recording is gone. Yes. So yeah, what kind of habits do you have that keep you on track with some of the things that you want to keep on track with? I feel like this is an interview. I know. <laughs> I'm interviewing <laughs> you, Brittany, on your habits. I thought of all the apps I use to track things. I thought of Untapped, which is the beer app that you got me hooked on don't even get me started on that one because woody loves that app and that's the only app he ever uses and that's like his social media too which i think is. it gave me little badges <laughs> for trying different beers and then true. i got into sours because i liked logging in things i didn't try so then i kept trying things and i was like oh these are actually good instead of just sticking with the stuff that i knew that i like it is neat to like check in a beer and see what badges you get and then what other people have drank this beer or whatnot. David makes fun of me because he's called me a beer snob a lot. I literally read the beer that I'm logging in and I read the flavor profile about it and I read what it says about it. (laughs) So then it educates myself more about beer and David 
he just looks at me disbelievingly. <laughs> but I was hanging out with Lauren and Rainer and David, and I brought a stout over to share because Rainer and I are big stout fans. Mm-hmm. And we were both drinking it, and then Lauren drank a little bit, and I was, like, describing how it tasted. And it's like, oh, do you notice, like, X, Y, Z, like, how someone would describe wine? And yeah. David, I saw him looking at me impressed. I do the same thing with Woody, not going to lie. And I would do that to him a lot whenever he started getting into Untapped and he started drinking, like, beers and checking them out a lot over here because we just have so many breweries here. And he would kind of get on to me. He's like, why are you checking this in? I'm checking this in. Why aren't you doing this? That's his app. I'm not good at it. I'm David in this situation (laughs) in our relationship. I also thought of Strava, the fitness app how it keeps track of my runs and it tells me like my stats and it tells me how I'm trending, like if I'm running faster or slower mm-hmm. or distances. And I get to see if everyone else is running. Yeah. And y'all can see if I'm running. I like that app because for instance, I'm probably going to do this today. When I haven't ran for a while, it's helpful for me when I get back onto running again and I'll run like five miles one day and I'll see that at the end of my journey. And then the next time I run, I'll look at my past record. Like, okay, I did five. Then I'll see if I could do like five and a half or six. I'll go back to that one and see if I can do seven the next time. It's really nice to kind of see your progress with the amount that you do run. Mm -hmm. I like that. I think it's very helpful for me to kind of get an insight like, wow, I can do this many miles. (laughs) Because also tracks it by week and I'll show you your mileage by week and I'll do it on a point chart basically where it shows if you've been running more or less compared to more recent weeks too. My weightlifting app is set up like a calendar and the days that you work out will have a blue circle. Mm -hmm. Goodreads Mm -hmm. helps you keep track of what books you're reading and what you think about them. You kind of rate them like you do beer and untapped Mm -hmm. and you can see what everyone else is reading and you can set reading goals for yourself. David's been giving me crap because apparently I'm bullying everyone into getting good reads. She did do that to me. <laughs> I just want friends and I just want to see what everyone's reading. What keeps me on track, especially with my routines, is that care of app. I have simple routines that I do every day that just kind of help me go, kind of start my day. Uh-huh. Drinking water is one of them, doing my skin routine, all that junk. What I like is every time you do a habit daily it gives you like a little flame that says oh you've done like a five-day streak with this and then sometimes I might miss actually like clicking everything because some days I just forget they're a little bit busier than others it just happens Mm -hmm. in human but it doesn't really like punish me or anything it just says like hey like you did really well like every other day like you're keeping up the record that's awesome and sometimes like it shows which task I do more of Mm -hmm. and which ones I'm not doing as much like working out for instance I kind of hurt myself and I just kind of told myself I need to let my body rest and part of that is probably not doing as much physical movement like I like doing working out going on runs stuff like that yeah I saw my little workout falling behind and I was like okay this is something that I see this is something I want to fix so I'm trying to make a habit of doing like every other day right now to work out And just kind of getting back into the groove of things. Just like what I am doing with practicing and whatnot. So. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, you need to listen to what your body and do that. Habit trackers work. Habit tracking is obvious. Mm -hmm. You literally see the progression. Habit tracking is attractive because we have lizard brains. Small wins are really addictive to us. It doesn't take much to incentivize people. Mm -hmm. We're like, give me a little fake badge. 
And I will do the thing. <laughs> I will do the thing. I will check in my beard. <laughs> <laughs> and habit tracking is satisfying. It feels like such a huge sense of accomplishment to cross shit off of lists or have the day be blue when you work out. So yeah. then you can look back on it and you're like, nice. Nice. What James Clear talks about, it's easy to fall into not doing a habit. He said that if you make a mistake once and you repeat it twice, then most likely that is now a habit. So this happened to me one time and I can remember it. I was on a really good workout track and then I remember I got sick. Obviously when you're sick, you don't want to work out. That's not something that you want to do. And I just kind of had told myself, you need to rest. And once I felt better, I was like telling myself I wanted to work out, but it was really hard to because I had worked out in a while. I was just kind of like, ugh. This is hard, like mm-hmm. actually doing the thing. And so it's easy to not want to work out after right. not doing it like two days in a row or a week. I totally get it. It happens. It's the same thing with practicing. I've been so busy the last few months that I haven't been able to practice as regularly like I would like to. And so mm-hmm. when I finally had some time to practice, I wouldn't want to do it because either I had other things I needed to do, like other work that was on my mind that I wanted to finish first, or I was too tired, or okay, it's now like three o'clock in the afternoon, not noon, and I would rather be practicing earlier in the day, not later in the day kind of deal. So I'm just not going to do it. (laughs) I'm not going to do it, yeah. What I started doing was holding myself accountable and actually saying, okay, I'm going to give myself a minimum of 15 minutes to practice. What I did is set a timer on my phone and I just practiced. I started out with something simple and I did long tones because for some reason that puts my mind at ease. I think it's a great way of starting out a practice session if I wanted to. And I was like, I'm going to start something simple. I'm going to work on my tone, just get back into the groove of things. And if that's the only thing that I do in this 15 minutes and for the rest of the day, that is fine. That is progress. I picked up my instrument and I did the thing. Mm -hmm. I found it to be actually really effective because for some days I've done 15 minutes and then other days I've done 30 minutes. This past Thursday, I did two hours and I thought it was fantastic. I think finding something to hold you accountable and showing up for a minimum amount of time, that's progress in itself. Yeah, doing something, even if it's not at 100% of your normal effort or if it's not as long as you normally do, is better than not doing it. And that's Mm -hmm. something I literally tell every single person I interact with, whether it's my students and how they're practicing or myself and exercising or David and my family and my friends and things. It's just more important to not miss the habit. In a previous episode that we did doesn't he say something like you need to kind of cast your vote for who you want to be so you need to think about it like that if you want to be the person who practices or who exercises or who writes you need to be the person that is willing to put that time and work in at the end of the day you are the only person who can hold yourself accountable for things yeah and you need to be the person who puts the work in to do it. It's not like you're going to wake up one day and be like, wow, I'm a fantastic musician. Wow, I'm a marathon runner. It's that doesn't happen. You got to yep. work, bitch. Yep, you got to work. Actually, that's a song <laughs> by Britney Spears. Work, bitch. <laughs> work, and bitch. <laughs> she literally says, 
You gotta work, bitch. <laughs> Might have to slip that on my mix. I literally have a mega running mix that has like 200 songs on it that I just keep adding to because I like variety. So I just shuffle through. I did that actually with my liked playlist on Spotify because everything I liked is usually like what is on my running track, but I actually just cleared everything off of my Spotify. I just had songs that I listened to back in like 2010 that I don't listen to anymore. And I was like, why do I have this on my like? So I cleared everything and I'm kind of just like trying to explore different playlists and stuff because I just noticed I was listening to the same thing and I'm like I need variety in my life I get that (laughs) anyway so speaking of lean variety in your life it's also important to know when not to track a habit yes and sometimes it's not the most important thing so just like with working out if you can't do it every day it's not the end of the world at all like I think we kind of pressure ourselves to where it's like oh if I want to be consistent I have to do it daily and if I don't the world's exactly I'll never do this thing again. Yeah, and it's the same thing with practicing, too. I teach adults. I teach kids that have too many activities going on in their life, and I have adults that have full-time jobs. And so what I encourage everybody to do is if you can't practice every day, practice every other day and give it, like, 15 minutes. That's your minimum right there. Um, Right. If you can't practice for two hours but you can practice in 15 minutes, think about – the quality of practice you can give in that 15 minutes. It might be better than that two-hour practice session that you did. It's about, like, the quality of work and working smarter, not harder. Yeah. Another example that comes to mind is if you are trying to have a goal of being healthier, but then if you get really fixated on the number that the scale is showing Mm -hmm. and you get focused on getting that number lower and lower and lower, muscle actually weighs more than Mm -hmm. fat. So there should come a point where you are losing weight and then you get to a point and then you start gaining weight back. But in theory, it should be muscle instead of fat. It's going to be detrimental to you if you're very focused on keeping that number low. And just because you have muscle, like it doesn't mean that you're fat at all. No, that actually took me a long time to get over. When I made the decision to start weightlifting after I got out of grad school, I was really worried for a few months that I would just look super beefy and like testosterone fueled, like Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of. But no, it's really good for you, actually. Especially, I think for us musicians, because we are using movements in ways that are not natural. Mm -hmm. We're very prone to injury. If we don't add something like that in our practice, I've seen a lot of people, mostly on Instagram, talk about this. I think during COVID, at least, a lot more about being aware of our mental and physical health as musicians has become more of a normal thing. I remember it popping up every now and then before COVID, but I think because we were all at home and we were just kind of focused on ourselves and on social media a lot, I think people started sharing like, hey, you can do this. That's okay to weight train. It's okay. I'm really happy I got that out of my head and David, he helped a lot with that because I needed reassurance because I was a 24-year-old woman who was self-conscious about (laughs) what I would look like. But now I think I look great. Like, I look thick. I feel strong and I can lift things and I can do work and I can run better than I could and I can play better than I could and I feel healthy. I was never ridiculously skinny, but I couldn't maintain a healthy weight until I actually started weightlifting. Yeah. And I'm like, thank God that actually brought another health aspect to my life. That's good, though. That I couldn't find beforehand. I'm really proud of you. You should be proud of yourself as well. 
I love you. <laughs> Speaking of love and being proud of people, chapter 17, how an accountability partner can change mm-hmm. everything. Catherine holds me accountable <laughs> to a lot. <laughs> like giving me motivation to re-record this episode that I'm less less annoyed at, but still a little annoyed at. It's okay to be annoyed. It's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> So we make things immediately unsatisfying to discourage certain behaviors. And one thing that I thought of was slapping a late fee on students who pay later than the 15th of a month. And to be honest, I don't really have a problem with late paying students anymore. I have something like that as well. I also have something where if you don't show up to a lesson within 15 minutes of our scheduled time is canceled. I think this is a fair trade. It's in my contract. No, I have that policy too. Yeah, that's just something that I find my time valuable if you are paying for lessons. And I had that actually happen recently where a student forgot about their lesson. I was just like, I'm not going to teach a 10-minute lesson. And I've had people ask, oh, can we still go? And I'm like, no, like, no. And here's the thing. After they miss that lesson, they have not missed a lesson again. I've had it happen before with other students and they have not missed it. It's just kind of like one of those things. You're going to be late and it's going to be canceled and you're going to have to learn that lesson again and mm-hmm. see if you can not make that mistake again. It's kind of the same thing if you're late for yeah. like a doctor's appointment. You don't want to be late to a doctor's appointment. It doesn't take much to discourage people. No, it does not take much. And that's why not everything needs to be extreme. Mm-hmm. Unlike his example, so he has this thing called the habit contract which is you literally make a contract with yourself to keep yourself from breaking whatever habit you're trying to make. And then you formally write out what you're going to do and you sign it and you have witnesses who sign Mm -hmm. it and also hold you accountable for that habit. And the story was he had, was a friend or a guy that he knew? It was a friend, yeah. Who lost a bunch of weight through doing a habit contract with his wife and his personal trainer. And it got kind of (laughs) wild. Phase one, get back to a strict slow carb diet. Phase two, start a strict macronutrient tracking program. Phase three, refine and maintain the details of his diet and workout program. And then he listed the punishments if he failed. For example, if Brian doesn't do these two items, then the following consequence will be enforced. He will have to dress up each workday and each Sunday morning for the rest of the quarter. Dress up is defined as not wearing jeans, t-shirts, hoodies, or shorts. He will also give Joey, his trainer, $200 to use as he's fit if he misses one day of logging food. I also like the one where if he forgot to run sprints, he had to dress up for work every day and wear an Alabama hat. Since he was an Auburn mm-hmm. fan, and I'm sitting there like, oh, life living down in the <laughs> South and <in> the SEC. <laughs> if he failed to weigh himself, he had to give his wife $500 use as she saw fit. Dang. At that point, I kind of hope that he failed. I highly doubt it. I'm sure he <laughs> lost a lot of weight. I'd be like, please fail. I want that money. I want that money, please. That's some hardcore contracting. I honestly, yeah, I can't do that. I wouldn't want to do it, I don't think. Me neither. Usually for me, just the act of telling people that I'm doing something is enough to hold me accountable for something. Yeah, I'm very independent to where I hold myself accountable for a lot of things. And I like using visuals. Like, 
that app that I use or writing down a list and holding myself accountable to get those tasks done daily at least. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a really neat idea and especially for somebody that needs that. But yeah. for me personally, that's not for me. I think Mr. Clean also realized it was a little neurotic because he said that it doesn't have to be as formal as a contract mm-hmm. and it can be as small as having another person hold you accountable for something. And I thought of the 100 days of practice, the trend that Hillary Hahn started a few years back where you basically record yourself practicing mm-hmm. and you put up a snippet on Instagram for 100 straight days. Yeah, I've done that before. I've oh. done it twice, actually. And... It did hold me accountable. I focused more on stuff like that when I had like a deadline. For instance, I remember when I first did it, I was preparing for my master's recital, I believe. So that really kept me motivated to practice the material I needed for my master's recital and other things that I had going on because I was doing a lot of performances Mm -hmm. that year of grad school. And then when I did it again a few years later, I was doing a couple auditions in Denver. It was my first year out of school and I wanted to audition a lot more, put my name out there that like, hey, I'm here. I play flute. Like, hello, my name's Catherine. I wanted to do well with these auditions as well. And so doing that 100 days of practice kind of kept me accountable with my practicing, not only Mm -hmm. for those auditions, but to practice when I was out of school. You know, I wasn't preparing for orchestra every Monday, Wednesday, (laughs) every week. Mm -hmm. So I kept up this habit of practicing and it stuck for a good while. I did mine right after I got an Instagram. So this was fall of 2008. Really? Is that when you got Instagram? Yeah, summer of 2018. I was slow on the Instagram train i think i got instagram as soon as i got an iphone that was the first app i I think it was because i just wanted to take cool pictures and use the filters i was really into that but it was funny because that time period ended up spanning david and i buying and moving into our house and me working on audition stuff and then getting some gigs to do with some other symphonies so it turned out to be a really busy time and I don't know if I would have held myself accountable for practicing without it yeah it was nice to do it's like a very public promise Mm -hmm. more than a contract with the 100 days of practice I know that there are some people out there that did it in a row and that is awesome because I know that some people are still doing this challenge still like it has lasted for a very long time and people are still doing it. Hillary Hahn's doing it again yeah, now. I've had instances where I've done the challenge and I wasn't able to practice every day and so I would sometimes take a day off and then get back into it but also my practice included score studying and I think practicing can involve different kinds of things now not just like playing your physical instrument. If you are doing that challenge and you're stressing yourself out over it, like, I have to do this every single day, give yourself a day, a break, get back to it the next day. I think everyone stresses themselves out about it because I have before. I know other people have. Another thing that I thought of was why having a workout buddy is such a common thing. I think of how Valkyrie is basically my workout buddy for runs and stuff because I want to exercise and... She wants to exercise, so I'm like, oh, just kill two birds with one stone. And now I'm like, well, you need to go on a run. 
let's go on a run. <laughs> That's kind of how I got into running a little bit more because I always took Jack out on walks. He held me accountable a lot. He knew that I would be taking him on a walk if I went to the bathroom and put my hair in a ponytail. That is his little habit right there. <laughs> he knows, like, if I walk into the bathroom, he would run up the stairs, find me, and have his little tail wagging being like, are we going on a walk? Are we going on a walk? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yes, we are. And he held me accountable because, like, there are some days where I'm like, I don't want to do this. But he would see me walk to that bathroom and run up and be like, are we going on a walk? Are we going on a walk? And I'm like, how can I say no to that cute little face? And it got me into running a little bit more because I was outside, I was mobile, and I was like, well, why not just do something by myself, not just with my dog? The last thing he brings up is public punishments, which are effective, and I'm terrified of doing them. I liked how he talked about Thomas Frank, an entrepreneur in Boulder, Colorado, wakes up at 5.55 each morning so he could not turn off the tweet, the automatic tweet that comes up at 6.10 saying, It's 6.10. I'm not up because I'm lazy. Reply to this for $5 via PayPal. Limit 5. Assuming my alarm didn't malfunction. (laughs) I would stalk his page. I know, I'd be like, I'm on that. I would wake up just to see if it would post it. There's a professor at the school that I went to, and they would have, like, some kind of practice log or journal that they wanted each student to bring to their lesson. They had very high standards, it seemed like, in their studio. Like, everybody in their studio that I listened to was really good. Mm. If they didn't bring their log, (laughs) then... They would have to go to the coffee shop I worked at and buy their coffee and bring it that lesson. I could always tell that they left their log or something because I would see them walk in. They would order that coffee and I'd be like, ooh. (laughs) I only know this because I got like the inside deets about that from somebody else. But I just thought that was pretty neat because it's like if you want to be a performance major, you need to practice. Like, you need to put in that work and effort, and I want to see that, and if I don't see that, then you need to buy me a coffee. Are you feeling satisfied I'm now? I'm feeling a little bit more satisfied now, so. Unlike Hamilton, we will be satisfied. He'll never be satisfied. <laughs> more tunes uh, with Brittany on our Patreon podcast, Fiddle and Pipe Happy Hour, if you want to hear a little bit more singing. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Fiddle and Pipe. There we have actually two tiers that y'all can check out if you think what we do is worth some of your hard-earned cash. Yes, we have a $2 tier a month, which is partial reader peeps, and then our $5 a month tier, which is our book club peeps. And you can get various outtakes and bloopers, and, you know, if you just can't get enough of us, you should There you go. If you want to see what's happening in the fiddle and pipe universe you can always follow the podcast on instagram at fiddle and pipe and you can follow me at bm ross music and me at cat flinch flute and if instagram is not your style then check us out on facebook at fiddle and pipe forum it's an open group for anyone to join we're trying to update it a little bit more often we promise (laughs) That's been a goal of ours. See? Habits. It's a good habit. It's a good habit. (laughs) Please make sure to rate us on Apple Podcast and Spotify as well. There is a rating now on Spotify, so make sure to check that out if you're a Spotify listener. If you're on Apple Podcasts, make sure to give us a review as well. We would love to know what you think about our podcast. We want to know what you guys want to listen to, what we can do better on, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And rating and reviewing a podcast does help us make us more accessible to people who might not see our podcast otherwise. So we really appreciate anyone who 
likes, shares, supports us in any way. We love you. And on that note, <laughs> now that we're satisfied and Catherine's being creepy. <laughs> yeah, we hope you feel satisfied today and we'll see you next week. Bye, 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 bye. And it didn't shut down.